I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. Today, I want to talk a bit about eating disorders. And I have spoken in a previous episode about body image and parenting with esteem and lots of creative, playful ways to build positive body image into your parenting strategies. But as news broke during lockdown that child referrals to eating disorder clinics has risen during the pandemic period, I felt it was a topic well worth exploring in perhaps a slightly different way than I've spoken about it before. And by the way, on this topic, Renee Van Medding has a great new podcast called Disordered that addresses all aspects of eating disorder and disordered thinking about food, and it's well worth listening to. So do give that one a, a listen as well if this is a topic that does interest you. While I'm going to suggest you scroll back through the archive of my past episodes and listen to that body image episode I just mentioned, I think it was July 24th, uh, 2020 that I uploaded that one. I do not want to suggest that body image alone is a cause in the development of an eating disorder because that's just not true. The topic is much more complex than that. And indeed, it's much more complex than a single 15 minute episode can fully address. So as I'm speaking about it, please be aware that if this is something that you are concerned about in yourself or a loved one, especially your child or teenager, please reach out to your GP in the first instance and also connect with specialist organizations such as bodywise.ie or similar um, organizations in your area that work in the area of eating disorder and disordered eating thinking. You know, when it comes to thinking about eating disorders, we may well associate them as starting in adolescence. But over the course of my you know, more than 20 years clinical work. I have worked with children as young as nine years old presenting with an eating disorder and an adult in their 40s with first time eating disorder onset. So eating disorders do disproportionately start in adolescence, but not exclusively so by any stretch of the imagination. Nor are eating disorders an exclusively female experience. I have worked with a number of men experiencing eating disorders, but again, they do disproportionately affect women. And why this is the case is less clear with the exact cause of an eating disorder being largely unknown, though we can reflect on some key variables to consider. And again, we're, you know, this is always coming back to causation versus correlation, but we do hold in mind variables such as the biology factor. If someone has an immediate relative, you know, that means like a parent, a sibling who themselves has had an eating disorder, then that person might be more vulnerable to developing ones themselves due to a potential genetic link. Uh, we look at variables involving emotional disturbance. If a person already has a diagnosis of, say, anxiety or depression, then they may be more susceptible to developing an eating disorder as well. And of course, we hold in mind environmental and sociological factors. You know, there's an emphasis, an undeniable emphasis on the body, on thinness in particular, being the ideal body type in Western culture. And this permeates the fashion industry and is perpetuated by the media and amplified by social media. And, you know, certainly the body positivity movement is making some progress in this area, but by no means are we there yet. And it's still this thinness that's enshrined as 
the body ideal. So we have to be aware of those kinds of factors and influences as well. And even something as in lots of ways pro-social that can then have an effect is something like competitive sports. If a person is actively involved at a very high competitive level in a hobby or sport that values or even maybe requires a lean body type or a light body weight in order to excel, it can play a contributory role here. Examples could be gymnastics or ballet, swimming, athletics, horse riding, loads of others. So there can be many, many variables. The the bottom line is we don't know exactly what it is. It's not like you can say, aha, it's that one thing. For everybody, it's going to be something different. But these are things we hold in mind. In that previous episode on body image and parenting with esteem that I mentioned, and I discussed lots of examples of how to proactively parent with positive body image in mind, I want today to look at a different question, you know, what to do if the disorder, the actual eating disorder is already there. So it's not something you're proactively parenting to prevent, but it's something that's part of your parent-child relationship. Positive body image language will not do any harm here, but in and of itself, it will not affect a change in the disorder diagnosis. So if your child or young person or someone in your life already has a diagnosis, simply changing how you speak about body and speaking more positively in and of itself won't make it disappear, won't affect a huge change um, because it's not something that you can parent through alone. It just isn't. An eating disorder is a highly complex psychiatric diagnosis and it requires mental health and medical intervention. And I just don't want any parent listening to feel like, oh, I've got to work this out myself and there's some kind of formula that I can apply. And I think that's really relatable that as parents, we would search for that and grapple with if only there was something I could do and I could fix it. Because, and this is really what I wanted to spotlight today, that the impact of eating disorders on parents is something that doesn't really get enough attention. We often talk about the person experiencing the disorder, which is really important, but there are the people around that person too, and they're also experiencing the eating disorder in their own way. An eating disorder is a terrible disease for a parent as well, because you have to watch as your adored child deliberately hurts themselves. And that can be just so hard to get our heads around. They're clearly suffering, and yet you feel completely powerless to help them. The eating disorder disempowers parents and can result in a sense of pervasive helplessness as you're grappling with, you know, how am I going to fix this? While your attempts to nurture your child are repeatedly rejected. And that's just so hard because it can result in a sense of moving into as a parent what I'd call executive care in our parenting, whereby the, you know, the continuous offering of connection is not reciprocated And so we give up, we pull back, we focus on functional care. I'm going to get you up. I'm going to prep the meal that's been agreed by, you know, with the dietitian. I'm going to put it in front of you, but I'm going to drop the bid to emotionally connect or try to understand this because I've tried and tried. I'm getting nothing back and I'm exhausted. It's almost like parental compassion fatigue can set in and it moves me into this place of executive care. I'm doing the functional stuff, but anything over and above, which is the essence of emotional connection, is very hard for me to reach to. And I'm putting this here because not as a judgment of anyone who's like, gosh, I think that is me. I I recognize that. But as a way to say, I get it. I understand how this can happen. It can also, though, result in something else. It could result in really high levels of frustration, anger, even aggression in a parent as you're beginning to emotionally battle each other over food. 
Both of these, whichever one you might go to, both are the result of a rolling sense of distress. Why is my child doing this? Why can't I help? Why won't they let me help them? And I just think that's so relatable. We get to that place of desperation and none of us make the best choices, decisions or or indeed are at our best when we're in a state of desperation. You know, go way back from the very beginning of our parenting, we're asked, you know, about our babies and we're either validated or cautioned in terms of how they receive our efforts to nurture them. You know, and this is what it is. You know, when someone asks you if your baby eats well, you know, when people say, how's the baby? Do they eat well? What they're really asking is, does your baby receive the food you give them? Because it's not like the baby is sitting up with a knife and fork and feeding themselves. So it's not a question about the baby. It's a question about us. And they're asking us, does your baby accept the nurture you're offering and making available? As parents, we can and do feel very judged, both by others and ourselves, if we're honest about it, by how our children eat. It comes into sharp refocus, sharp focus, but really a refocus given it's been a focus at the beginning in the context of an eating disorder. And this can trigger shame in us as parents when we feel we have failed, we feel we have not been enough. We cannot, you know, satiate our children's needs. They won't allow us to fulfill them. And it's so triggering. And so we ask, why? Why is my child doing this? How has this happened? Why didn't I see it? Because if I can understand it, perhaps I can change it, fix it, undo it. So if our children are struggling, we're struggling. And the impact on the parent-child relationship regardless of the age of the child in question, and I mean if that's your young child, your teenager, or indeed your adult child, it's immense. And something like dyadic, which is joint parent-child therapy or family therapy, is very often a part of eating disorder recovery programs because we recognize the damage done to the relationships of the person with the disorder while also recognizing the value of those relationships in the road to recovery from the disorder. We have to invest in relationships around this and relationships are often really fraught as a result of it. It's extremely difficult to understand the thinking and therefore causes behind an eating disorder because it's also extremely difficult to get objective statements from the person who has the disorder as to how they feel in their disordered eating state of mind. If food restriction or avoidance is is what you're struggling with, we have to consider the disorganizing effect on general functioning and one's psychological or emotional reactions that starvation has on all physical and emotional sensations in the body and brain. Prolonged starvation can activate biochemical changes in the brain, which are somewhat understudied so far, but we do know they impact capacity for thinking, feeling, and of course, overt behavior in a significant way. Regardless of the manifestation of the eating disorder in question, you know, be it anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, or an eating disorder not otherwise specified, we are addressing pronounced states of control, anger, fear, and shame. And as the parents of a young person with an eating disorder, you may, to varying degrees, experience shared emotional experiences with your child, your own experience of control, anger, fear and shame, because that is what's getting activated in you and activated in your parental self. 
So use this insight, this insight of a shared emotional experience in your bid to connect and to stay connected with your child. And also let it guide you to focus on the person with the eating disorder rather than the eating disorder itself. Because that's what's really important in protecting and upholding the relationship. Focusing on the person behind the disorder and not just calories in, calories out or the food. That's going to get you from that functional space to that over and above connection space. And more than anything, I said it at the beginning and I'm going to re-emphasize it here. Reach out for help. Help for your child, yes, certainly, but also help for yourself. Look into parent support groups or parent peer support. Reach out to organizations. I mentioned BodyWise. I'll mention them again. Um, the National Health Service here, HSE, have a national clinical lead on eating disorders. And you can go to your GP and seek referral to child and adolescent mental health services or CAMS clinics as well. Do not do this alone. You cannot do this alone. And actually, it's going to be a collaborative shared approach that will get you and your child through this. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-Minute Parenting.